out here, the Russian nightmare. And you are listening to the Working Man Podcast. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Shut the Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer Joe may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at Fans Working. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast, and for any ideas that you might have, that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Just um, fucked up now, sorry. <laughs> ah, fuck it. <laughs> All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast with your number one fan, Dave, and producer Joe. Sitting in today, yeah. Yeah, AJ's out on assignment. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Getting <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I'm recovering from a cold. Might be a little bit out of a cough drop high, so forgive me. There'll be some coughs in this episode. You can get high off cough drops. I don't know. Someone told uh No, probably not. Never mind. I'm fine. I think he's just drinking rubbing alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I think you get uh, fucked up off of drinking too much cough syrup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, definitely yeah. can. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, we're, we're starting off hot this week, baby. Why don't we start off with a little thing we're going to call What Did We Watch? What about you, Joe? Did you watch anything this week? I mean, I say we could call it a time killer because it's basically, we came in here with nothing this week and yeah. we just kind of started bullshitting about what we watched and with NXT being a review show this week, AEW was kind of the obvious choice. With New Year's, I believe I watched NWA, or half of NWA a day early. Obviously, you know, Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, I uh, I skimmed through Raw and SmackDown like I normally did. Actually, SmackDown had a couple bright spots. There was a lot of returns. Sheamus came back. John Morrison finally came back with a little cameo. All right. I don't know if you saw that. Definitely didn't. Okay, so what happened there was earlier in the night, Miz is telling Daniel Bryan how he has to beat The Fiend up, and he's going crazy because The Fiend was in his home and all this basically corny bullshit that I don't really find that appealing, but it is what it is. But it does set up later that The New Day goes to approach Miz, and they're talking to him about, hey, you know, you shouldn't feel so bad. You had a hell of a decade, man. You had the most titles than any other performer in WWE. Like, you have the most championships of any guy. And then Big E reminded him, well, you're actually tied with Kofi. And he's like, Kofi's like, well, we're not trying to make him feel bad, man. And then Miz slaps some pancakes out of her hand. They have a match. And they're really kind of building off the fact that Miz is frustrated. Kofi wins the match. 
Miz attacks him from behind. Big E makes a save. And the fans are chanting, you suck. To which point Miz is yelling, after all I did for you, after all I did for you. Later on, they go to get an interview with Miz. And John Morrison opens the door in his dressing room. And uh, they're like, John, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't, you know, just hanging out or whatever. And then they ask, she said, well, I actually want to talk to the Miz. And he's like, well, the Miz isn't taking any questions right now. Wow. So that was how they kind of brought John back. That's interesting. And it'd be interesting to see it was a tag team. You could do like the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood too. Now that Morrison's gone off, made his own movie, made his name around the world. I would say. Yeah. He's had a really good time outside of WWE, and would you say he was one of the first people to bet on himself? Yeah, you could definitely say that. I think he was the first person to really kind of. It wasn't all about the money for him. It was coming to the schedule. No, he gave up a ton of money to even make that movie on his own. Oh yeah, like he wanted to do other projects. He had other passions and. At that time, independent wrestling certainly wasn't as hot. Neither was like going to Japan or anything like that. No, he so. rode that wave, and I don't even think he had to go to Japan to really capitalize on everything. Surprisingly. <clears throat> no, no, not at all. To see John back at this point of his career with WWE is definitely interesting. Yeah. I said there was some returns. Oh, the Usos returned, too. Okay. They did an angle where uh, Roman Reigns is getting beat up by Dolph Ziggler and Baron Corbin. It's actually a tag match. Roman and Brian were a team. The Fiend interrupts the match. Brian takes it to the theme, actually gets some offense in, but then eventually gets the mandible claw on him. And while this is going on, the Fiend disappears. The lights go out. And Roman gets jumped by uh, Dolph and Baron. Now it's two on one. They're going to handcuff him. They're going to do the dog food spot again, pour dog food on him. And then the Usos make the save. Okay. So that and Sheamus came out earlier. There was a match shut up with, God, I hate this name, Shorty G. And uh, one of the Revival, I want to say it was Dawson. Forgive me, I'm forgetting. Wilder with hair. Hair. That is Dash Wilder. That is Wilder. All right. So they have a match. They go back and forth. Uh, Gable gets the win. We'll call him Gable. And then, I feel better uh, with that. Yeah. And then Wilder jumps him. And as they're beating him down, Sheamus comes out. And they make a point that, you know, Seamus has said that everybody's gotten soft and the revival just takes a powder. And they're like, Michael Cole's like, yeah, get out of there. You don't want any Seamus. Then Seamus turns around and just broke kicks Chad Gable, <laughs> which I thought made sense because I'm like, what is this motherfucker a baby face? Why? Yeah. You know, it, it was really weird. That, like they even tried to build it like he was coming out to stick up for Gable. Yeah, it's an odd comeback, but I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something he's been off the road for a while. He looks good. We'll see where it goes. Now, I didn't really watch enough of NWA to remember anything. New Year's week, a lot of things going on. I did watch AEW. Yeah. Packed episode. I really liked Dealey's Place. What or Dealey's oh. Place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The venue. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I thought the venue was interesting. It had a real different look to it. I liked that. It kind of reminded me of... A little bit of a slash clash of the champions with the ramp and stuff still. Yeah. But also, like, that first Nitro with Ball of America. Yeah, yeah. it's that weird amphitheater-type setup where you'd have the stage. Like, if you live in the Hartford area, you're thinking of the XL Center where there's the stage and then there's the seats that go up and you have the lawn behind it. Daly's Place looks similar to that. And with the placement of the ring, it's almost like next to where the stage would be so you get like a straight out ramp a lot of good matches i thought i thought they packed it the only thing that fell short for me was the 
responding to the offer to join the inner circle a week later. Right, right. But I mean, not enough wrestling stretches it out week to week to week to where that's refreshing, but I also might not have built it up so big for this week. Well, it's interesting uh, to me. First off, uh, one more thing about Daily's Place. I like the fact that we have venues that don't look the same every week. If you can get something that sticks out to me, I mean, again, talk about NWA Power just for a second, that's one of the great things is that studio. Right. Yeah, that it, studio offers, it has, it, it gives it a feel. Right. The second thing, I would agree. I thought that the inner circle thing or the offer to Mox was a bit of a miss. You could tell the fans weren't too happy they weren't getting a respond yeah. in their hometown. I want to point out one thing I liked. It was a little weird to me, but I also liked part of it. Iron Anderson coming out as Cody's manager. I that like- was different. They had announced it during the week. I was right. wondering how it would be. Yes. I mean, I'm happy to see Arn in an on-screen role. Yes, I'm happy to see Iron on screen. I don't understand the need for I it. don't see the need for Iron Anderson to accompany Cody Rhodes, who's on fire with this company, one of the big stars, and to come out in a babyface capacity to take on the smaller... <laughs> You know, spunky Darby Allen. Yeah, it, it almost made it kind of heel like, but we know Cody's not a heel, so that was a little weird to me. I didn't necessarily wasn't a fan of that pairing, but what I did like was when Iron came off as like the coach when he's yes. talking to Cody. Iron makes it a point to cover his mouth. That's something different. That's something you see in an NFL football game or something like that. Yeah, I like that. And then at the end, Iron's telling Cody to get the knees up, and Cody gets the knees up, and you know, he's showing the value, and he's coming across different. So that was something, again, much like the venue, something different. A lot of times I'm a fan of something different. Yeah, especially when everything looks so much the same, and that's more the knock on, I think, Raw and SmackDown nowadays. Sure. That, yeah, you got to have something to stand out, something. You don't want to compete with what's there. You want to make your own mark. Sure, and I would say that... um... AEW, I think they're under a little more scrutiny, I feel, than like an NWA. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, NWA is definitely, as much as I like NWA, they're rehashing some stuff, too. Rehashing, and they're not, they're kind of in a getting their product together, not necessarily growing it yet. Right. And I'm fine with it, because they're putting out something good, putting out something different, but I think to some degree, you're limiting yourself by staying just in the studio. Like, even for pay-per-views, why not go to a small venue? AEW's doing it. Right, right. College, gyms, college campuses seem to be the best place for that NXT, or where NXT used to be. Sure. That, um, the smaller capacity venues. It's definitely something worth looking into just to give it a different feel and a different look at times. Uh, We'll have to see how many pay-per-views NWA is doing. I think it's a little weird. We already got one in January coming up again. Hard times. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too, but I hope they space them out a little more. Yeah, it was a little weird (coughs) because the last one was Into the Fire and that was December, early December. Now you're having one just about a month away. Right. I don't want this to be a monthly thing is what I'm really just getting at. Yeah, Yeah. I've... We'll have to see how they go. They haven't yeah. been out for very long. It's like with AEW. You, right. you see where they land. Some decisions may seem odd for where pay-per-views are planned, but when you're not doing one every month, it's a different schedule you're on. Now, other things I noticed I saw this week, I'm in the process of watching MLW. Uh, one thing I enjoyed was the beginning of it, that uh, Filthy Tom basically comes out with a second. They don't uh, announce who he is. I'm not aware of who the guy was. He... Um, wants to face uh, one of the greatest Von Erics. And it's not Marshall or Ross. And doing this interview where he basically he says that 
You know, we don't even know who Marshall and Ross are. They are po- imposters. And he said a couple Hawaiian hillbillies. And basically, he wants to wrestle the greatest Von Eric. And he said, right now, I'm going to take on uh, straight from the loins of the greatest Von Eric there ever was, Lance Von Eric. He said, Rip Von Eric. And basically, this guy's coming out doing a claw, you know, trying to disc his punch. And it's all laughable stuff. But for those who don't know, Lance Von Eric was the imposter Von Eric. Fritz tried to pass off. I was going to say the Von... imposter Von Eric, or yeah. just trying to continue that legacy one more time. With... Right. And if you're not, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I figure you'd be familiar with that. But once Fritz got to the end of his sons, he didn't want to quit having Von Erics in there, it seems. So they brought in somebody who. If he hadn't been in that territory, he had been in a neighboring territory under a different name. Right. And it was almost when the Von Erics jumped the shark almost. And you're bringing in somebody trying to pass him off as part of the family. Which everybody knew. It doesn't work in sitcoms. It's not going to work in wrestling. And and that territory, too, everybody knew the Von Erics. Yeah. They knew him on a family basis. Like, they were their kids. And now it's like... Oh, yeah, here's this motherfucker you never saw growing up with them. Yeah, they watched enough of them die, but then all of a sudden, here comes this one out of the dugout. The cousin, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was that. Uh, Very clever by uh, Filthy Tob Lawler. Some other stuff, Wrestle Kingdom going on, I didn't get a chance to see. I watched Liger's match on day one, had some shit going on yesterday, so I'm hoping to catch up on it today. Yeah, I know the results. The Uh, two-day format was very different i thought i mean you had matches on the first day that played off for the second which i liked i'm really anticipating this double championship match next week on the podcast we will talk more about wrestle kingdom we'll get sheath went up to watch it with jesse in new hampshire i i'm watching it in between there's a lot of good stuff like i saw highlights and i know the spoilers and there's some great angles on it and it's um, wild, because usually I'm a day one Wrestle Kingdom watcher. Like, if I'm not watching it live, I wait for it to get done about 10 a.m., and then I start it up at 11 once the feed goes up, and I watch it straight through to the afternoon. Slack this year, but it's not for it's not because the card isn't there. Oh, no, it's definitely there, yeah. And one thing I'm excited about, too, is the potential that was kind of discussed by uh, Meltzer this week, too, of AEW and New Japan maybe doing some work together. I don't think we're going to really necessarily know that, but one thing David talked about was if you go back to that uh, show New Japan had in Dallas last year, apparently they were told not to mention that other company when they were talking to the wrestling journalists. They didn't even say call it AEW. Don't mention that new wrestling company that's out there. So now you have Tanahashi talking about the Fitbitten Door and the title shot, and it was even put together on their website that if Tanahashi wins, he's going to get an uh, AEW world title shot. Yeah. So I find this fascinating. I actually had heard a rumor earlier in the week, too, that MLW had something big going on, and someone was speculating that maybe they have something with New Japan. I haven't heard that, but at the same time, and that was just one of those things on a message board. People were like speculating what could it be. But I I want to throw the idea. MLW put that announcement out, and New Japan would be nice, but I almost see them going like the All Japan route or even like Pro Wrestling Noah. Definitely for Russell Noah. They, I think, used some talent from there. Yeah. Hammerstone, I think, went over on a tour for Okay, yeah, that's right. They do have that. So, like, that's where I see MLW. Not that they wouldn't want New Japan. Oh, I'm sure they would. Yeah. Yeah, but it, and it's AEW, 
Who chooses to work with who right now? I think New Japan having a strong working relationship could really elevate somebody. Because I feel like they have such a strong presence already in the States. Not in the sense that, like, okay, if they debuted here, they'd be the number one wrestling company. But they have enough of a following that if they were working with AEW, this back and forth with NXT and everything, where NXT wins a week, AEW wins a week right now, might really swing the other way. But what about New J- the New Japan US League? Or the New Japan US well, yeah, that's coming out? That's the other thing, too, right? And so, that's almost like, they almost don't need a working relationship. Because if they have that, they can just do a working relationship with themselves. Good. But I will say this, too. I'll I say, would rather see uh, the talent interchange, because it's so good when you see somebody from one... Right company come over to another one i'd like to see i mean perfect world i'd like to see them with mlw because i feel like they would really elevate mlw i don't think that's going to happen but i'm just saying like i would really like to see, i think that would take mlw to another le- level oh, yeah. yeah imagine having like you know tanahashi versus like Davey boy smith jr or something it's like now you're getting like these guys the ultimate rub kind of like yeah. competing there in the stars so I'm excited. You know, big things potentially in the works if these guys do make some talent negotiations. Either way, though, New Japan having a U.S. presence in the future could be exciting. So I think that's going to cover it for what we watched this week. Yeah. <clears throat> we do maybe want to just, like, go ahead and... No, let's just say we're right into the next segment here. New, we got a segment. We finally have fan feedback. <sighs> yes. And we've been asking for social media response. We don't get a ton of Twitter responses or anything like that. We got one. But the... One. The, yeah. the fans that mostly get a hold of us, it's through direct messages. Yeah. It's just through people like Jesse from New Hampshire messages yeah. me regularly. Or Zach. Zach. Uh, uh, I don't know where Zach is. Randy Osga. Our number one fan. On top of it. Uh, well, Randy was the one who got to us on Twitter. Uh, Zach, I don't know if he wants me to mention his last name, so I won't. He's they fave the government names. They fave the government. Yeah, I'll mention it to him afterwards. But I don't know where Zach is living nowadays. But he was from the Griswold area, so <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But uh, you don't need to know where Zach is. All right. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> Jesse's from New Hampshire. Zach's from Connecticut. All right. So who knows? Maybe they're trying to chase him for child support. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Let him be where he's at. <laughs> but yeah, they Let's threw in a couple yeah. things that they want us to talk about, or <clears throat> that they would like to hear us talk about. Right. That surprisingly, one of these, I'm surprised we haven't talked about Joey Ryan yet. To any do do big degree. Time. Yeah, that was Zach. Zach, I uh, wanted to discuss Joey Ryan's wrestling persona, the character, and what we think of it. Why is it over? got its audience it's not a big thing with him he's not a fan he doesn't get it truth be told me and joe talked a little bit about this off air which is kind of a curse we don't usually like to talk about anything off air but it's kind of like one of those things where i think me and joe i don't know if we're the best guys because we're kind of in the middle with this guy like i don't know i'm not a huge fan of joey ryan but i don't hate him but to me it's just like the dick flip you know his penis is like this fucking like for it's a comedy thing it's funny it's fun it's got a place on the card but at the same time, it's like, I've seen the fucking joke now a bunch of times, too. And it's like, I just feel it needs to be more, well, me personally, I want to get that out there. I feel like it needs to evolve more. I don't take him as a main event guy. That being said, <sighs> motherfucker's over. He's over. I mean, he's been in the business a long time. When you're doing something like us, I mean, we're trying to craft our place in the podcasting land. He did that in wrestling. He found something that works for him that makes money. Right. It's known everywhere. There's a huge fan base. I don't think he's killing the business. No. He's changing the face of it. And while I'm not the biggest fan, 
I support what he does. Like, I've bought a DVD from him. I've bought a picture from him. Because mm-hmm. I wanted him to actually autograph a DVD case for my brother. Right. And, you know, I, I, have, I have no problem supporting him. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan, but he's finally on a big stage. I think he deserves to be signed by somebody. If... However you feel about bar wrestling, he runs that in Los Angeles. I think that's important. Yeah. He's done a lot for the business, so I think good for him that he found something that works. I'm not the biggest thing on the whole dick thing, because yes, the dick flip is funny, but Pro Wrestling Crete sent me the Joey Ryan's Penis Party DVD. Okay. And you try to explain that to fucking anyone that doesn't know wrestling. Right, right, right. It sounds like I got a goddamn porn in the mail. (laughs) I never want to admit that I watch this shit. Not a bad event. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just like shit like that. I'm over it. I also watched Colt Cabana kiss his penis the other day. I saw that, yeah. fucking clip. And I was just like, that I'm good. Yeah, right. You know, it just... Yeah. That was just one thing past where I'm like, all right, I, I understand how you get there in a match, but I'm not down for it. And what the fuck ever. Like, I will say this: I was at an event at Beyond Wrestling. You might have been there too, Joe. I don't remember. We've been at most of these, I think, together. This is the time Anthony Green put a condom on his hand to grab Joey Ryan's dick. No, I didn't see that. But that's something worth checking out, maybe. But. uh there was... If you say so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some was... of the shit I was just at, I, would, I wouldn't uh, push it. So, there was this thing, though, uh, where... Uh, I forget who Joey was wrestling, but they were yelling to uh, touch his dick. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot there's of that. There's a lot of that, right, right. But there was one person who yelled, who must have been a 10-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, and he just yells, touch his dick! And he goes, I would! And you just see Joey Ryan had to fucking, like, hold a laugh and had to, like, he had to stop what he was doing. He was not ready to have his match at that point when a fucking... You know, I don't think anybody was ready for no, that. Like, no. This little kid's going to grab Joey Ryan's dick. Yeah. I think we should all be worried. So, I don't think it's killing the business. I think if you can get over and you can make money, good on you. That being said... I don't it's, think it's, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not for me, but I'm not going to say it's not a good thing because I don't understand it. Going, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Going from that, we're going to go into <coughs> we're going to go into what Randy wanted us to talk about. Sure. Lesbian angle to end the raw wedding. Wait, what Randy specifically asked was was the lesbian angle the right way to end the raw wedding angle? Was it the right way? Well, Personally, I wouldn't have had the angle at all, so I don't know like, if I'm the right guy to Yeah, ask. I mean, it's yeah. a pretty shit angle, so however you end it is fine. Yeah, it got high ratings, though. It was the highest rated I segment. I've heard that. But I'll bring up a point. I wouldn't have expected the lesbian angle. Here's the thing. I will say this, too. I want to, for, real quick on the ratings, shout out to a guy named Steve that works for Frito. He had mentioned Steve that... Steve Frito, he says some shit. He does, and he said that just because the rating got a high segment doesn't necessarily mean that it's like good for long terms it could be people tuning in for a train wreck people saw this coming like either way i mean they got a high rating in the last segment of the show yeah usually third hour is where numbers dip so sure sure say what you will it's accomplishing the goals that they want so i I watched the raw wedding i guess i would say it's the right way to end it even though i don't care about the angle uh the ending i could give two fucks but I watched, sounded like it worked yeah. out. I watched it. I made it a point to watch it because there was so much talk about it. I wanted to see it. And how do you how do you feel about that? This is what I this is what I came up with. A lot of the same other people did. The minister 
wasn't too bad. He was kind of funny. He was on his game. Okay, he was really the only hit. He was really only hit for me. Lana was all over the place. I guess Paul and Heyman and Vince McMahon are a fan of hers now, but I don't see it. Bobby has always been kind of quiet. Not really a good mic guy. His He's been quiet in WWE. He had the mic time and impact where That's I thought he was yeah. good. I mean, I wouldn't say he was crazy on the mic, but yeah. I feel like they've taken all feeling of that away from him. Yeah. You don't really need Lashley to be a mic guy. You need Lashley to be a fucking crusher. Right. At the end of the day, though, Liv comes out. Gets a good, like, reaction kind of thing. People are wondering what's going on. I think it almost robbed her of a return. Like, yeah. the return could have been better, but instead she's this somebody's ex-lesbian lover. Now, where does that sound familiar, dude? It's, just... it's a shitty way to end the segment. <laughs> I just don't know. Like, yeah, it's the thing, like... The... It's a raw segment. How are you going to end it? The thing about it is the fight they ended up having went long, and it was awkward, and it wasn't like there were two good workers. So that's one other thing. Rusev got a huge pop, by the way, at the end of it. I'll just throw that out there, too. For whatever reason. Yeah, they're fucking with his relationship. I'd hope he can get a pop. <laughs> Rusev. He's about to get divorce papers if this shit goes, like, as yeah. what, how these segments usually go. Yeah, like shoot divorce papers. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's crazy that this has happened enough times in wrestling that you know relationships go down a bad road when they're in this situation. Right. But, I mean, I guess at the same time, you're trying to get on TV, so whatever angle works gets you there. Yeah. But I, it was an angle. It, it was ended, an angle. Like, I'm glad we addressed it. It was trash. Yeah, We're ready I mean, to move on. Hey, we. anytime the fans want us to talk about something, you know how to get a hold of us. We'll talk about it. I just feel bad that the Raw wedding I was probably less invested in. Like, I've seen Joey Ryan over the years. I have a certain level of respect for what he does. I mean, Raw... Raw's gonna let me down. Like, there's mm. no way around it really anymore. You'll get mm. a good match or two every now yes, and then. Yes, I will say that. There was some good matches on that show this week. Like, you know, we didn't address that on what we watched, but there were some good matches. Andrade looked good this week. But I'm blanking out. You know, there's so much wrestling on here. I'm blanking Plus out. Plus, it's kind of, it's that weird <coughs> space where at the, we we're at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, the last real holiday week. I wouldn't say we're back on our regular watching schedule because, like, TV was interrupted. NXT had that. The war show. I, I would give it a couple couple weeks. It'll be easier to get back in that flow when we're not in the holidays anymore. I mean, we had a good talk. La- you guys had a good talk last week about what you wanted to see in 2020. Well, I would say on that note, we answered our fans. All right, guys and gals, I'm back again. It's AJ, and I'm here to talk this week about one thing. Two things, three things. Hell, I don't know how many things. It doesn't freaking matter, does it? It's all a work. Of course it's a work. What are you, fucking more? <laughs> it's all a work. Now, let's get to the first thing at hand. They came to me last week. They said to me, producer Joe and my co-host Dave, they said, Hey, Jay, you can't do that. You can't be that mean. You can't talk about stuff about New Year's like that. You can't talk to our fans that way you're gonna upset them you're gonna you're gonna hurt their feelings they're not gonna come back i said bullshit i said it's bullshit i said they're gonna come back i said the only ones who might not come back is those snowflake liver lilied little bitches who you don't really want as fans anyways so if you're listening to this and you were offended last week 
you might want to turn down your radio just a little bit because we're coming right at you. Let's start off with the biggest piece of shit of the week. My biggest piece of shit of the week is very simple. It's Vince McMahon. You know why Vince McMahon's my biggest piece of shit of the week? Because he fed us on Raw the stupidest angle ever. He brought us Lana and freaking Bobby Lashley's wedding. Now, we've watched all the weddings of the past. We've seen the Macho Man and Liz. Oh, yeah. And we've seen freaking two dudes almost get married, which is fine if that's what you're into. Chuck and Billy, good for them. God bless them. Then he brings us freaking Lana and Bobby Lashley. Why does Vince McMahon hate us? I assume he hates us to feed us this horseshit over and over again. And you know what's even worse? It's how much you people hate yourselves. Because in, it was the highest rated segment of Raw. So how much do you morons out there hate yourselves to tune in and freaking watch this crap? You know what I did? I fast forwarded until I saw Liv Morgan. And then I'm like, oh God, yes, Liv Morgan, please save us. And you know what he did? He turned it into a lesbian angle. It's not even a real lesbian angle. I don't buy it. I don't think Liv Morgan's even a lesbian, which makes it even worse. Because quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with being a lesbian, but there is something wrong with being a fake lesbian. Vince McMahon is notorious for being racist, for putting people in horrible gimmicks like Tony Atlas. He took frickin' the black Superman and turned him into fucking goddamn Samba Simba and dressed him up like he was from Africa. Or what he thinks people from Africa look like. What is wrong with this man? I know he's out of touch. If you don't believe he's out of touch, take a look at what NXT's doing and AEW's doing compared to Raw and SmackDown. Raw has Vince McMahon's fingerprints all over it with these stupid angles compared to NXT, which actually is wrestling. When we tune into frickin' Raw, we know it's going to be sports entertainment. And by sports entertainment, I mean a soap opera that just sucks badass. Not even good ass, badass. Then, we actually tune in and we watch something like NXT, which is wrestling in its purest form, and we see what it could be and what it can be. So for that, biggest asshole of the week this week, congratulations, Vince McMahon. You're it. All right, up next, let's hit something else that's very near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about David Weiss and the Flat Earthers. I told you we're going to talk about conspiracies. This moron thinks that the planet is flat. He goes on Chris Jericho this week. He says... Oh, oh my God, Chris, uh, I don't know how people can not think it's flat. We're having these big conferences now. We're getting thousands of people to them. That doesn't prove anything, David. All that proves to me is that there are thousands of people that are stupid. You think that we live in a snow globe, a flat land, where there's a fucking edge, and I know you don't think we can fall off the edge, because you think we just hit like a fucking wall eventually. Here's the problem with it, David. People have actually left from California, Los Angeles, have gone west and hit Japan. They've also flown east and hit Japan. Where's the wall, David? Where's the fucking wall? You stupid, arrogant prick. You think that because you're part of the Christian right, that you can come out here and actually say whatever you want to say as long as it proves to you 
And to your point that we didn't come from fucking apes and monkeys. You don't want to believe that that's possible. You think that God just snapped his fingers, blinked his eyes like a genie, and here we are. I'm not knocking people's beliefs, folks. If you want to believe in that kind of stuff, then that's what you got a right to. And I'm not even saying that I don't believe in God, because I do believe in God. I believe there's something out there. However, in order to believe the earth is flat, you have to believe everything else is a work. And you know what? Yeah, a lot of it is. But we're going to talk more about that next week, because next week I'm going after the moon landing, and I'm going to go after the fact that I think that might be a work. However, until then, this guy David Weiss, moron of the week. So now we got asshole of the week, David Weiss, moron of the week. He also believes everybody's out to get him. He thinks it's a giant conspiracy that because he believes in the flat earth, that Google's out to get him, Apple's out to get him. They're all in it together. It's a big conspiracy. God forbid that anybody else believes different than him. Otherwise, they're out to get him. You know what that sounds like to me? Schizophrenia. A little bit of paranoia, maybe. Are you hearing voices, David? Are you hearing this voice, David? Because if you're hearing this voice, you're hearing it. You're a moron. All right, up next, let's talk about something else here. Something that's been bothering me. We bombed Iran. So you got all these snowflakes that are coming out and crying. And oh my God, we shouldn't have shot the second in command. How dare we shoot the second in command? Oh my goodness. Now they're going to get upset and they're going to come and attack us. Let me give you a little history lesson here, snowflakes. We have spent our whole lives as a nation, starting from the Boston Tea Party, doing what we want to do because we think it's right, not because we sit there and worry about the consequences. When they dressed up as freaking Indians, and yes, I said Indians, not Native Americans, Indians, because that's what they called them back then, and yeah, I know, political correctness, they are Native Americans, but are they or are they from freaking Asia? Show me that they didn't come over the land bridge from Asia. However, when we dressed up and we went onto that fr first boat, we spilt the tea into the harbor. We didn't worry about the consequences. We did what we had to do to prove a point. Did they come back and they stopped us? Hell yeah, they came back and tried to stop us. So you know what we did? We beat the shit out of them. We fought them in a war until they couldn't take it anymore. And then we had our own country. That's how it works in America, folks. They came back in the War of 1812. They wanted a little bit more of us. So you know what we did? We burned down Toronto. Did you even know we did that? Everybody thinks that the burning of freaking Washington, D.C. was just something that the British came over and did. That was actually a response to something, folks. We went up and we actually burned down Toronto, which was their closest capital of Canada at the time. We burnt to the freaking ground, and then they came to Washington, D.C. as an actual response to Toronto. And you know why they had to do that? Because we didn't think about the consequences. They were making it so we couldn't get our goods in off the coast of America. So we had to do something to prove a point that they didn't own us. So we went up and attacked them. That's what we do. Let's go to Pearl Harbor. You know what happened in Pearl Harbor, folks? The Japanese bombed us. You know what happened when the Japanese bombed us? We dropped two bombs on them. Except for we didn't just do it from a, a freaking planes with little bombs. We dropped the two big ones on them. 
You know what? You know how well it went for them after that? Not very well. We're America. We fight for what we believe is right. We don't freaking sit there and let our soldiers get attacked by a freaking Iranian general second in control and not respond to it. If you have a problem with that, hell, let me know. Send it in on Twitter. Send it in on email. Send it in on freaking whatever you want. You got a carrier pigeon at home? I'm sure you do, probably right next to the gerbil in your ass. So send it in to me, let me know, and we'll argue it next week. I want responses. By the way, Randy Osga, thank you for asking us about what we thought of that angle. And for Joe and Dave, if you're not happy with this, guys, I got two words for you. See you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Working Fans Podcast with Dave and AJ. And we got a special guest today, one of the NWA National Wrestling Alliance greats, guy I grew up on. I know AJ did as well. AJ is a huge marketing <laughs> fan for this guy, by the way. Former United States champion, Nikita Koloff. Nikita, thank you for joining us, sir. Great to be with you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. Yeah, absolutely, man. You also, sir. <laughs> yeah, as Dave was mentioning about me uh, marking out a little bit, I actually worked for a little while. I worked for 10 years, and I'm 6'3 and about 280 pounds, and you were by far my favorite wrestler when I was a kid. And while I didn't go in um, perform as Russian, I took a lot of my style and similarities in the ring to what you did. So thank you very much for that. Oh, well, certainly flattered by that, humbled by that. I, I, I appreciate it, and I'm glad I could, you know, make, make that kind of impact. So thank you. Thank you guys for having me on, by the way, too. This is, this is the working fans. I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah, we're always working. That's the that's the that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and working by me jobs, not trying to work the people. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Working to make a living. In wrestling, we do have that double meeting. <laughs> I, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, that's well, good. So yeah, I wanted to ask you kind of a two part. I I know you're originally from Minnesota, so I wanted to ask you about breaking into business, and also what is the deal with Minnesota when I look you guys. Up, it's like Rick Rude, Road Warrior Hawk, Nikita Koloff, Barry Darso. Yeah, what's what's going on? It's in the, it's in the water. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's a high content of iron in the water. It's all iron heads. Um, so, yeah, it, it, and you know most most people, most fans, especially uh, if, if they don't like, not every. I'm surprised all of them don't know, you know, the whole Minnesota thing, but because they're like, man, your English has really improved. I'm like, yeah, good English tutoring. You know, that always helps. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the, in a nutshell, the, there is a pretty long list of, of Minnesota guys, uh, including the Nature Boy Ric Flair, Roadway Animal, Hawk, Ernie Henning, Rick Root. fact, you know, some of the fans know, I mean, there were seven of us from the which is unusual from the same high school, not the same college, not the same state, but the same high school, Robbinsdale High School, Ravishing Rick Rude, Kurt Henning, Nikita Koloff, John Nord, Barry Darso, mm. Tom Sink, and the, the lesser known was Brady Boone, but yes. seven of us and five of us played on the same football team one year, and no, we did not have a good <laughs> wow! <laughs> you that, got to have coaching too. You can't just have good skilled yeah. players. You got to have coaching. True. But, um, and then my, you know, just real short. My, you know, my introduction to coach. Hey, if people, by the way, want the full story, I, 
you know, I just uh, put a put a life story out there not long ago called Nikita, A Tale of the Ring and Redemption. It really goes into my full story and the history of professional wrestling back into the 1800s. Pretty fascinating. So, oh. anyway, the short version of that is, you know, I grew up dreaming of playing pro football. I mean, football was my passion, it was my love, and weightlifting, and that, that's where I was focused. Some of the guys that got it, the guys I mentioned, I got into the wrestling business, and then one day I got a, after graduating college, training for a pro football trial, I got a random call from a guy named Road Warrior Animal, hmm. who, by the way, side note, I had recruited out of high school to come play college football with me. You know, didn't know him until I recruited him, and we became the the best of friends, friends, friends of the family. And so I got a random call from him, he shared a story how, how they were looking for something new in the Carolinas in the mid-Atlantic. <laughs> and a big guy to be a partner for Ivan Koloff, a uh, legendary in the ring, right? Right, absolutely. Defeating Bruno San Martino and, and Madison Square Garden the whole deal. I didn't grow up as a wrestling fan, so I really didn't know hardly any of the guys. I knew Jesse Ventura in college. I trained at his gym. Uh, but even then, still wasn't really a wrestling fan. I just got to know Jesse, right? Right. And all that to say, Animal gave me Jim Crockett's phone number. I made the phone call. Had a five-minute conversation. Cyber scene. I'm sure he understood. I had no amateur wrestling background and zero professional training. None. And he said that's what they said. Be in my office on such and such a day. And I hung up the phone, and two months later... Drove into a city I'd never been, walked into a building, met a man I'd only talked to once for five minutes, introduced myself, and Nikita Koloff was born in the hallways of Charlotte, North Carolina that day. That's wow. Yeah, I, I was reading up on you, and I was like, <clears throat> I'm glad you confirmed that. I'm like, it looks like this was his initial wrestling. Like, he didn't really have any prior, uh, like, a lot of none, territory, right? None, yeah. None. See, no, see, zero. zero. I mean, <laughs> And they literally put me on, on, you did about six, seven hours of interviews. Now, of course, I'm from, I'm from Russia, right? Right. So, like, <laughs> so I, I'm not speaking any, so I just had to stand on the, on the, on the set with my shirt off with chains around my neck and look mean. Yeah. And then <laughs> we finished though. And he goes, Hey, be in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night, the Jordan Arena, you're going to wrestle on television. I've never been in a ring. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm a wrestler on oh. I, I couldn't imagine yeah. that. I trained with Adrian Street down in um, Florida and, you know, learned the fundamentals from him. And still, the first time I got in the ring, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was absolutely terrified because <laughs> all of a sudden you're out there and it's time to go tell a story and you're green as goose shit. So to be in front of all of those great fans in the Charlotte area and for your first match to be on television, my God. Hmm. Well, and, and, and combine that, you know, I'm kind of looking back on it, I see now, but combine that with that night, the who, in that day, the who show professional wrestling was, I mean, Dusty, and these guys, some of these guys were, it was just a big four-hour taping they were doing, some of the guys weren't even in the territory, but they had King Kong Bundy, and Dusty mm. Rhodes, and American Dream, they had Candelaria Hanson, and Wawa McDaniel, I mean, legendary guys, right, Steamboat, Leonard. I didn't know any of them. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and, and 11 seconds later, I stepped into the ring, and, and 11 seconds later, I had my first win in professional wrestling. That was my debut to professional wrestling action. And, and of course, the old cliche goes, the, the rest is history. So. 
I still get into it on debates because we speak of that 11 seconds. My um, debate that I always get into people is people will talk about the best clotheslines in wrestling. And, of course, they mention Hanson and they mention a lot of different wrestlers. But to me, that Russian sickle by, by far blows away the other clotheslines. Well, it is intentional. Intentional for it to be a slightly different. Knowing there are guys who did that prior to me, uh, you know, to my career, you know, and, and the idea of it came from the Russian flag with the, the sickle on, on the flag kind of cocked, right? You know, the, the shape of the sickle on the Russian right. flag. And so I thought, you know, I'll cock my arm like that. Uh, I'll try to, you know, I hit a pose and so they'll know it's coming and, and, and lay it in with some intensity, which I told every guy, I go, as long as you keep your chin up, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> no, ser- serious. I, I just, I, I just say, keep your chin up. You'll be okay. Uh, just, you know, but if you look down. I can't, I can't take responsibility for what will happen. You know, it's funny as we're talking about this. I was just thinking about this. One of the most shocking things I saw when I was a kid. And now, as an adult, I gotta ask you. Maybe you know where I'm going. Is when you clothesline David Crockett? <laughs> because I'm watching that as a child. I'm like, David Crockett was just this nice interview guy, like me, Gene Oakwood. You never saw anybody take out the announcers, and the way you did sell the clothesline too, like when you said cock back and this giant of a man. I'm six years old. This is horrifying. <laughs> I just remember, like, I gotta ask you. This is where we were different kids. I thought David Crockett had it coming. (laughs) Well, well, um, you weren't alone in that. (laughs) There might be some more backstory. (laughs) There might have been some guys in the back real popping on on, on the whole thing. But anyway, uh, but, uh, so what's the question, though? Absolutely, I'm sure. <laughs> but how did that come about? They, uh, well, how did he take it? Was it okay? <laughs> well, truthfully, he didn't really have a choice. He was going down. And, uh, and, in, and in my mind, I thought, it's television. Right. got to look good. <laughs> as long as he kept his chin up. <laughs> as long as he caught it, David, just keep your chin up. Yes. <laughs> He knew it was coming. He didn't know when. <laughs> so that that's what made it look really honestly so realistic because he, he didn't know when it was coming. Uh, uh, on a serious note, you know, when, the way he, and he took the bump, he didn't really, again, he didn't really have a tree. He, he was going down. So the, the way he took the bump, though, you know, one minute he's separate, the next minute you see, you're seeing the soles on his shoes, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, now, anyway. that, now, that actually set up one of my favorite series of matches. That set up, I believe, the summer where you got where you went um, head-to-head at a lot of the Great American Bashes with Ric Flair. And those yeah. matches were just absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And again, for being so such a rookie in the business, you know, hats off to the nature boy. I mean, I've said it once, I've seen it a hundred thousand times, you know, he can make a broomstick look good. He was just, he was just that good. And because uh, he made me look good, especially that very uh, that very first match at the Great American Bash. But yeah, that did set that was that was part of the plan was to because they were good friends and set that up, you know, to, to give him to agree to sign a contract and for the heavy, heavyweight title, and, and that did lead to uh, a lot of a lot of really good matches that we had across the territory, and and, and certainly 
to his credit, because I, I was still learning, still, still limited on what I could do, but Rick being the master that he was, made those matches what they were. Now, I wonder, given the time period, too, something we were talking about, you hear it was a different era. <laughs> you know, people believe. Golden era. Yeah. call it the golden era. But I wonder, like, the heat, like, the crowd, like, we heard stories of near riots. Like, was there... Any, like, crazy situations did you have to encounter with fans? I mean, you're a big man at that time, too, especially. You know, a couple couple quick stories. It wasn't unusual for Ivan and I to get death threats called into the wrestling office. You know, the Colts come to Charleston and we're going to kill them. You know, Crockett's like, don't worry. Hey, guys, we'll just beef up security. Don't worry about it. And and that particular time, that time, we actually had the sheriff's beat us at the county line, escort us to the building, hang out with us, and 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 escort us back to the county line on the way out of town that night. But also, uh, starting with that first Great American Bash gets Flair, six different matches, five against Flair, one against Magnum TA in Norfolk, Virginia, where fans were actually able to, they, they were, they got over the barrier, they got in the ring and huh. tried to come, and tried to come after me. So I, I was uh, for sure loved to be hated. They loved to hate me. Yeah. As a side note to all the fans listening to this, if you for some reason think that it's a good idea to jump in the ring, especially with somebody the size of a Nikita Koloff, Mm. Please stay in your seat for your own safety. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Enjoy, enjoy the show, but, but don't be a part of it. I mean, right. we love you. <laughs> yeah. we love, it's dangerous for everybody. Because you don't uh, know what you're expecting at the other end, too. You have to do what you have to do. You don't know what this guy's coming in the ring to well, do. You, you, you don't. In fact, you know, now it's, it's changed some, but oh, yeah. back in the day, Ole Anderson. Ole has a big scar uh, across kind of his chest stomach from a fan back in, uh, I, I want to say the 70s, that he's leaving the ring and he pulls the knife out of his pocket, you know, and, and cut him, and he's got a scar there. You know, I mean, you know, there's different things. I mean, the, the match against Magnum, I saw the, the guy coming in, I, I, it looked like he had some of I don't know, but uh, he's, now he's in the ring. I, you know, I'm going to i got to protect myself. I'm, I'm going to protect myself, right? Sure. One thing, it's funny we're talking about this. We have questions prepared, but then sometimes things will enter our head. And, like, one thing I'm thinking about, years later, I don't even know if AJ, we've been friends for, like, 25 years, and uh, we were watching some old Crockett footage, and this was probably back maybe 10, 15 years ago we were watching this. I remember seeing this. I didn't think of it as a kid. But, you know, you know what to look for, and you know what you think, but... It was the um, Crockett Cup Finals. It was you and Dusty, and Magnum TA comes out. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, that embrace when you guys hugged, that felt real, man. (laughs) I mean, I obviously got to feel like you guys might have been really close in the situation that went on, but that did not feel like something that was like a show. Yep, the, the, the story behind that is Magnum and I had a great working relationship uh, in, in the ring, it, but that is essentially where where it ended, a, a working, uh, an excellent working relationship. Right. When I came back from the tour in Japan, and I was in Philadelphia, when David Crockett, or excuse me, with Jimmy Crockett, and Dusty informed me of the accident. I mean, I thought, you know, we were telling jokes about working earlier. I thought they were working, you know, like, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Broke his neck, right? Two 
moment and it actually like he Dave was just talking about it took you in a completely different direction you went from being basically the ultimate heel to one of the biggest face turns in the history of wrestling and people have a lot of turns that they remember now but I don't think in the 80s there was a bigger face turn than when you joined Dusty Rhodes and became the um, superpowers did you have a preference of heel or face I, I would say I'm glad I got the opportunity for both sides of it. It's really, in a sense, I enjoyed both roles as far as that goes. So I'm very thankful that I got to, to try both sides. And the way we did that, which you know, you, you guys all know, there's no way it was one of the best kept secrets in wrestling. That's why that's what made it so powerful right. and so impacting. Is no nobody knew. I mean, we all agreed. Jimmy and Dusty and I all agreed we weren't going to tell anybody. And there was a three-week window in between there. And I continued to wrestle every night as a heel all the way up to that night. And and the way we, we did it, and like I didn't say nothing. Even to Ivan, I didn't even say anything to Ivan. Nobody knew who his mystery partner was until I walked into the building an hour after matches started. And then they're like, Oh, you're his mystery partner. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and so, again, the, the sense of, of realism of what happened that night and the old expression of roof coming off the building when I tore into Ole Anderson, you know, was certainly a, a thrill and a memory to cherish for a long, long time. We're doing kind of an NWA theme coming up on our pod this week, and one of the guys we're supposed to be interviewing soon is Ricky Morton. And just kind of curious, given your background as a heel at that time before, and Ricky kind of being, I think, the ultimate baby face of that era, really. What were yeah. your thoughts on working with Ricky? Oh, it was, uh, it, you know, once it's a night off, uh, you know, him and Robert both, I mean, you know, going back to 1985 when Ivan and I, you know, when they, when they won the World Tag Straps for the very first time ever, the NWA Straps, um, and, and, you know, handing, the, handing off the belts to them and, and uh, you know, having a, a small role in helping, you know, launch their career even higher. But it was like, it was it's so easy to work with, such a night off. And and you might ask Ricky, there's a, he, I, won't, I won't go into, he tells it much better, but our first encounter with each other because of how, how, how green I was, I about knocked him out in the ring. You know, I'll <laughs> let him, if you want, if you remember, I'll let him tell that story. I will, pretty funny, I will so. definitely ask that. <laughs> I'm excited yeah, to ask so, that. But, but yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was great to work with and just, just, just thrill about the, you know, extended uh, career that those guys have had and kudos to them, you know. And now we've had a rebirth coming up of the NWA. And you've been on a couple of the shows for them for that, including recently helping to draw the names of the TV tournament. What's it like seeing the rebirth of the NWA? I love it. I love. I mean, when I went down to the studio a few weeks ago, you know, it's it's not Tenth and Techwood, but it's darn near. It's just four blocks away. So, and then 
And then to walk in and just have that studio feel of the, those old days. I'm like a fan, you know? I'm like, oh my gosh. And then have the fans go, wow, this just takes me back when I was 10, when I was 12, when I was 8, you know? And then the response. I was, you know, just thrilled by by the reception of my, uh, you know, my introduction that night, the response of the people. And so I love what, what Billy Corgan and, and Dave Lagan and these guys are doing. I hope they stick because it's so unique and different from anything else, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I really hope they, they stick to their guns and just continue on that path. I think they're going to, I think, they'll build a great following and let, let them just, uh, if they'll continue to, you know, produce uh, what they're producing. So I love it. And I'm, I'm in, I, like I said, I'm NWA for life. I mean, I know I did a little in the AWA, but that was kind of cool promotion, really. But so I did some other stuff, but, I, you know, through and through, NWA is where I got my break. I'm NWA for life, and it was fortunate in 2008 to, you know, be inducted into the NWA Hall of Fame. This is AJ again. I'm a lifelong NWA fan, and as Dave knows, when you came out just to draw the names for the TV tournament, you got a Road Warrior pop from me. But um, uh, thank you. I, I love seeing the fact that you stuck with the NWA and a little bit with the AWA because it would have been so easy, especially in your size, to be able to go to the WWF and make um, impact there. So to see the loyalty that you had to this day, it's one of the reasons why I'm still such a loyal fan to you. And I appreciate it. And that is really believe wholeheartedly. You know, let's word loyalty. And I did, that is, uh, you know, people say, hey, you know, why didn't you go to the WWF or did Vince never want to approach you or whatever? No, uh, you know, I worked hard on the, on the Rusty Nightmare and the Kitty Co-op character. I worked hard on it. I lived it 24-7 for three years after I left wrestling and walked away from it. I still personified the asset and everything else to protect the business. And looking back, very grateful, thankful to Tim Crockett. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just down the road from, from, from that office right now, literally, as we speak, from that office on South Boulevard where I walked in and got my big break. And so forever grateful to Jim Crockett, the Crockett family, the fan, the loyal NWA fans. And loyalty is, is a, I like to think, is a strong suit of mine. I mean, I, I'm a very lucky... Look, I've been, in, I've been in Charlotte longer than I've been anywhere else, but I'm still... Uh, uh, I'm still a loyal Minnesota Vikings fan, right? <laughs> Minnesota Vikings fan, but... I haven't lived in Minnesota since 1984, but I'm still loyal, right? I'm still loyal. So, I, I loyal So everybody knows you uh, eventually retired. Kind of take us from your retirement to what you're doing now with the ministry and everything. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was interesting. Again, I walked away at the age of 33 under my own terms. Not a career-ending injury. Neurosurgeons in the MRIs that I had. However, they informed me of the the greater risk, uh, potential risk of, of more serious injuries. And I continued my career. That last match against Big Van Vader, where, where I injured my neck and, and got a hernia. That hernia, hernia, yeah. hernia surgery. Jeez. You know? Yeah, I'm lifting up the, the 500 pounds. <laughs> that makes and, sense. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just, and, and when I broke in, I told Ivan and Don right from day one, I'm like, hey guys, I'll, I'll be out of active wrestling, active wrestling, you know, in the ring. By the time I'm 35, I'm like, ah, oh, like, Don's like, oh, no. I go, ah, let's just stop talking about it. I'll just show you, I guess. So I'm 33, getting ready to 34, and, and I, I just, I, uh, you know, by the time I rehab the surgery and my neck, and I'm like, why, why go back for like six months? Because my 
I'm, I'm walking away at 35 anyway. So I just say, you know what? I'm done. Hanging it up, I'm done. So I walked away into my own terms. Now, I'm certain of the future at that point, though, right? So I've had this wrestling career. I did open up some health clubs, you know, which was okay, but I'm like, I'm not going to do that the rest of my life. And then 11 months later, uh, the short version is 11 months later, I found myself in a, in a church in Concord, North Carolina. I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up around, you know, around religion or God. I mean, I believed in God. I just didn't know God. And it was on that day, 17 October 1993, that I had a, a genuine, real encounter with, uh, with Jesus at, at an altar. And it, it, it changed my whole life. I, I went from what I feel was poverty as a kid to successful in wrestling to becoming fulfilled and then from there from that decision i was discipled for a handful of years and went out and got my hands dirty building some churches and foreign nations of foreign countries and, and bible schools and stuff and then the lord just began opening doors uh and since that time fast forward to right now I've now ministered in approximately, preached in approximately 1,200 plus or minus churches. I just visited my 29th country. Mm. Wrestling is a, is, is a real draw on a platform, even for the ministry that, that God's now called me to. And one of my dear friends, who's become a dear friend, the total package, Lex Luger and I, have done tons of ministry together. In fact, we launched in 2019 a camp for men called, just called Man camp people can go on mancamp.info and and read about this camp that lex and i uh, have co-facilitated and, and, and so that's kind of a nutshell i uh, i missed all the, the books i've written so i've written three books and i'm working on a fourth so i just wow. throw that out there too so awesome yeah. man keep him busy <laughs> yeah. i i actually yeah, I, my dad used to say son you know i mean grass grow under your feet and i said not if i can uh, not if i can help it dad not if i can help it so <laughs> I mentioned the one book, but yeah, three three books currently, and then and then I'm I'm working on a fourth book right now. So and can they get all of those books on Amazon? Yeah, you know what? You can find some of them, or they can just shoot a direct email to me through koloff dot k o l o f f dot org, so they can just shoot me a direct email. What I do now is most of the time I personalize. You know, if they order it from me directly. I ship it out uh, personalized to that individual or whoever they want it, you know, signed to and that sort of thing. So with two of them, the very first one I wrote, I'm actually reworking that one while while they yeah, we we love to see the way when you look at the way the Lord has worked through a lot of the wrestlers, the transformations that we've seen in some of the people, like you mentioned, Lex Luger, Ted DiBiase. When you see the way the Lord works, sometimes it's absolutely amazing the changes that it's made in some of these gentlemen's lives. Well, yes, and, and to that point, if, if the person out there even listening to your podcast says, "Well, why? I mean, what, what's what's the deal? Why?" You know, Tully Blanchard, right? Tully's probably spoken over 2,000 prisons now, mm. right? Wow. Yeah, and, and so people are like, why? why? I mean, I invited Adam and Hoff to a, a, a big Christian Athletes Conference back in 2002. They came, a uh, pastor by the name of Jensen Franklin from Georgia was, was preaching. Hawk was the first one to the altar. A lot of people don't know this. First went to the altar, gave his life to Jesus. We baptized him in the pool there in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. That weekend. 
And I brought him on the road with me for a year and a half and discipled him and just poured into him with numerous phone calls and and conversations about the Bible because he had all kinds of questions. And the, the, the short answer to that is, right? Sting's another one, right? So the short answer to that is, these guys have reached the pinnacle of success, right? Sting, icon in the business, right? At, at his height, 400 companies making his likeness. But behind the scenes, Lex, Ted DiBiase, their life is shambles falling apart. Now you wouldn't know that as a fan watching watching them on television. But they're like, and so they they're successful. But again, like myself, unfulfilled. They're like, is this it? Is this all there is to life's journey? Uh, as life likes to say, all the baubles and trinkets and all that don't don't add up at the end of the day when you feel still feel empty inside. And so what these guys realized was, no matter how successful I've become, I'm still unfulfilled and still empty. And and what they found and what I found was the only thing that has filled that emptiness or that void was a personal relationship with Jesus, which is why you see the a number of these guys make that decision. Well, that's awesome. Nikita, uh, you've been really great to give us some time today. Is there anything else you want to talk about or promote before you go? You know what? You guys have been great. And I just say you know, to all the fans out there, a uh, heartfelt thank you. For, and you mentioned, we'll use the word again, for being so loyal to wrestling. And, and all of you, I mean this from the sincerity of uh, the bottom of my heart, I, I would have had a career hadn't been for you fans. And so I do want to just make sure and acknowledge that. And, you know, if there's an interest, as I said, in, in you know, grabbing a copy of, of one of my books, or maybe you're a guy out there, 18 years or older, and, and you want to come to man camp. And, spend uh, a few days with, with Lex and I and, and where we can just pour into you and, and help 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 you be healthier than you even are right now or move you along in your life journey, then, you know, go to one or two websites, go to mancamp.info or you can go directly to coop.org. Either one will, will get you all of that information. And I just appreciate you guys having me on, so... Awesome. Thank you, man. Hey, quick question. Uh, if you could do us one solid, if you can, it's no big deal. We were wondering if you could do us an audio drop, just basically something like, this is the Working Fans Podcast, or this is Nikita Koloff, you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast? Yeah, when you, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right, whenever you're ready. You're doing Nikita Koloff here, a Russian nightmare, and you are listening to the Working Man Podcast. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Shut <laughs> Nikita, I'm so sorry. That was so perfect, but it was one problem. It's uh, it's working fans, not working mans. Yeah, but I'm Russian, so it's a oh, yeah, so, well, I, I was waiting for that. <laughs> it, it's like it's even shorter, so yeah, we'll just tell. Can't even get the name of idea. Just have fun with it. It's so just like, the accent. I agree. <laughs> I agree 100%, Nikita, and I appreciate that. That'll work. Seriously, though, we lost the guy to do a play where he can't even get it right. That's all right. You know what? It's Stan. That's the one. Thank you very much, Normally we would correct it, but that's the best answer I've heard ever. It's Stan. Guys, you know, I'm serious. I really appreciate the opportunity. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And God bless, Nikita. God bless.
Bye-bye. Now that we've answered the fans, we got to answer the pressing question of the 5-3-1, where we bring our top five list together, debate it down to a top three. From that top three, we discover a top one. This week, we are talking the strongest wrestlers out there. And who brought us this? Who brought us this list? This was actually kind of something we worked on together, me and AJ. Okay. We do have... This week's list is strongest wrestlers. And we got some guest lists coming in. We're going to start with Randy, our number one fan. He put Mark Henry, John Cena, Scott Steiner, Bill Goldberg, and the British Bulldog. It's a strong list. Who else we got for a guest? Very good list. AJ... He wrote in this week because he's not here live in studio, and he put Scott Norton, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, mm. Tony Atlas, surprising, yeah. and Cesaro. Tony Atlas is a great name for the past. I didn't even think about Tony, but Tony actually was known for uh, press slamming Hulk Hogan, like extended yeah. the arms and press slammed him. That's a feat. Now, uh, Sheaf yes. had Brock Lesnar, Scott Norton, Ooh. Scott Steiner, Cesaro, and Ken Patera. Ken Patera, another great name. I love yeah. the older names popping up. Yeah, there. old weightlifter, uh, known for doing strongman things. Actually, there was a segment on TV where I think there was a truck that was like, you know, they had started, and Ken was pushing it back with his knees up against the wall. So Ken is like up against the wall, and he's pushing back a moving vehicle. Wow. Yeah, very strong guy. I don't know if the segment was work, but Patera's got weightlifting records. <laughs> we got Jesse from New Hampshire, solid on the list that he always sends us he put cesaro scott norton mark henry andre the giant and vader that's a very good list you know pound for pound is something i was saying too with this too so pound for pound i find with these lists we always put out a topic yeah and then the way that different people read it you almost get different answers but i always say like there's no wrong answer as long as you can defend it right now my list since me and dave don't know each other's list yeah I'll go first, man. Sure. I got Mark Henry. Mm-hmm. I got John Cena. I got Cesaro. Yeah. I went Dr. Death Steve Williams for a little bit of an old school feel. Sure. And to bring it into the modern day, Harry Smith. It's a good list. It's a good list. Solid list. I We're all all over the place. But Dave, where does your list fall this week? Mark Henry makes my list as well. How do you not include the world's strongest man? By the way, side note about Mark Henry. Mark was kind of this wrestler who never really made it for the most part, for a while in his career. Kind of a comedy act. They'd put different things in him. And then he started the Hall of Pain gimmick. And I went to a period in my life when I got older where I generally wasn't into characters anymore. It was only into technical wrestling. Mark Henry's Hall of Pain gimmick was so good. He got me back into, like, promos and intensity. Because, like, it wasn't like Mark was putting on classics, but when Mark would fucking pick up the big show, walk around with him, power slam him through a table, and then say, that's what I do. You know, like, I'm sold. I bought in. It's real. Love that. One guy who hasn't made anybody else's list, but I thought about it, Braun Strowman. Legit tough guy, legit strongman competition, and I think is actually stronger than what he's shown a lot of times. Like, I think he could probably do more. I don't think he's playing that character, unless it's cartoonish and he's tipping over 18-wheeler trucks, which we don't really believe. Yeah, I, I think they heard him. They've yeah. been building up that giant thing. I think they've played into the strongman thing with the tipping over the car in a cartoonish way, but, I mean, that's the WWE. Right. So, at least they're putting over that. Spread. I mean, he's super plucked the, the Big Show. And I know Big Show probably had to help with that, but we're at a stage in his career where Big Show ain't moving around as yeah, well either. 
either. That's true. So, it's, you know, that's something to think about. They broke the ring. That was probably kayfabe, but he still had to muscle that big bastard up. Cesaro. When you take into pound-for-pound consideration, too, here's the guy who's not as big as a lot of the other guys on our list. He's not a small guy, but he's not as big as some of these other guys were mentioning. But, boy, we're talking about a guy who could take Great Khali and swing him around in a giant swing. Super impressive. Somebody that Cena trains with, too. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, uh, Cena, she didn't make my list, but he was definitely a guy. Him, Scott Steiner, and the British Bulldog were all guys I debated put on my list. Yeah. Super, all of them super strong. Uh, Bill Goldberg was a guy I ended up putting on my list out of that group because Bill, you know, again, a lot of these guys, it's like, what did I see them do to the giant? What did I see them do to the big show? Like, if I see you taking the big show and you're giving him an F5 or you're giving him a superplex or you're picking up the big show with a power slam... Super impressive. One thing I'll never forget was I was watching Monday Night Raw one time, and I saw Big Show pick up Mark Henry for a power slam, but it was the way he did it. He literally picked Mark Henry up and just tossed him. Like, tossed him up in the air and caught him like in a power slam, and then... Took him down. I've never seen anybody pick up Mark Henry that easy before. I don't know if Bill's the strongest guy, but boy, he looked like it that night. Yeah. And the other guy I had to put on my list... Just because I never saw anybody toss around Big Show this much the way he did in a match was Brock Lesnar. I've seen people throw him around, but Lesnar, the way he was like giving him F5s, German suplexes, and belly-to-belly suplexes back in the day, that is just one strong customer. And again, all these guys have different things going for them, too. Yeah. Now that we got all the lists in, Cesaro made almost everybody's list. So we're going to invoke the AJ rule, and he's just going to be up and out because he's the obvious choice. Yeah, when you take him pound for pound, too, gets him his size. Yeah. Mark Henry made a few lists, so I'm going to put him up there. All right. Let me see what else we got. Cena. Cena made a few. He made a few. Let's put it up between Cena and Scott Steiner. If you had to give it to one of those two... Who are you more leaning towards? Again, this is strength. I want to point that out for anybody listening. If this was who was the toughest guy, not that Cena's a pussy, but my money would be on the amateur collegiate wrestler, Scott Steiner. But when you're talking about pure power, I watched one of those uh, Dinner for Three segments or Table for Three segments that he puts down. Yeah. And it was Big Show, Mark Henry, and Kane. And Big Show mentioned that John Cena, uh, when it came to picking him up, was one of the guys who he felt most comfortable picking him up because he would just walk around with such ease. So I would say Cena is the strongest of the two. See, I almost want to give it to Steiner because he's still doing like the Frankensteiner, still doing a lot of moves. He does have that collegiate background. But when you think about Cena, putting out big matches to this day, still picking up these guys. Plus it's strength. I mean, excuse me. I mean, we're talking basically like powerlifting and stuff like that. Yep. And, and I feel he, like Cena's just a power guy. He does train with Cesaro, so that's an easy move. Yeah. Who uh, final makes the list? Because who else? We, we have several people. We got made Scott list. Norton that's on a couple lists here. Yeah. Scott Norton. Uh, Lesnar made the list a few times too, did he? Okay, let's put it down between Lesnar, yeah. Norton, and Goldberg. Because I'd say they made about an equal amount of lists. Okay, so Lesnar, Norton, and Goldberg. Whew. Again, if this was just who's the toughest guy, my money would be on Brock Lesnar, right? the former UFC heavyweight champion. Yeah. Boy, we're talking about just who can lift the most weight there and throw people around. Uh, that's a tough one, man, because you're this talking about one? an NFL player. You're talking about a guy who was a legitimate arm wrestling champion and thick as fuck. I would have to give it to Scott Norton in this because if you're matching up Norton... Goldberg and Lesnar. To me, it almost seems like a one-two tie between Lesnar and Norton. 
And then Goldberg is a close number three, but he's definitely... I wouldn't put him on that same level. And I think Norton just inches out Lesnar. Just, I mean, he spent more time in Japan. I think if Lesnar had stayed with New Japan longer and got more of that style in, you could make a case for him in this. But to me, it's Scott Norton. You know what? At the end of the day, I think they're all pretty much the same. So for if you if you feel Norton, I'll go with Norton to move him on because to me, I mean, I'm not strong as anything. So because I'm picking one person over another, yeah. I'm not an expert. I mean, I I've just been watching these guys, and yeah. to me. Scott Norton brings a little something different that Brock Lesnar does that I like. Right. So we got Scott Norton. We're down to our top three, and that's Scott Norton, John Cena, Mark Henry. Oh, yeah. And it's it's weird that we just made such a case for Norton to go past Lesnar, but to me, I feel like he's the first one to come off this list. Yeah, especially when you consider the pound for pound, too. Like, Cena isn't as big as Norton, but I think he could toss around just as much weight. Yes. And And so let's eliminate Norton. Yeah, and it really comes down to Cena and Henry, and this is tough because Mark Henry's been branded the world's strongest man. I yeah. believe he's got the gold medals, right? He does not have the gold medals. Or he has uh, some kind of medals. He has some right? gold medals. He has some, well, he didn't medal in the Olympics. I want to clarify that. He qualified for the Olympics. Yeah, he qualified yeah. for the Olympics. And then he had a back injury in there. And he ended up, he was eliminated early because of his back injury. I could be wrong about that, but there is some story behind that. Boy, he but was, Mark has a ton of, like, world lifting power records and Pan Am game medals. And Mark also, even as recently as in the last few years, made a comeback and won the world's strongest man competition. So there's a story behind that too where basically uh, before the actually before the Hall of Pain gimmick I was talking about, he told Vince that he wanted to go do this world's strongest man gimmick and he wanted to compete because there were people saying that Mark was all show in the, the strongman competition that Mark was basically a phony and he couldn't actually hang. So Mark wanted to go prove them wrong because it was important to him. And Vince told Mark that that's fine, I'll let you do this, but you better win because there's no room for the second strongest man in my company. And well, maybe that little fire to Mark Henry's ass. Mark won. So at, at the end of the day, to me, man, you could argue like who's the most successful wrestler, but when it comes to the strongest man in the biz, that's Mark Henry. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to give it to Mark Henry, too, because, I mean, Cena might be up there with the amount of weight they can lift and what they can do. Yeah. But when you go to the levels that Mark Henry has and, like, that story you just told, going back yeah. and re, like, affirming yourself, proving it, I think there's only one choice. That's what, do you, that's what we do. I think there's only one choice. So yeah, that's Mark Henry, baby. Mark Henry is coming off this week as the strongest wrestler. We want to thank Randy for his list, AJ for getting in his list, Sheaf as always, and Jesse from New Hampshire. <laughs> and next week, we'll be talking Wrestle Kingdom. We've got a big Ricky Morton interview, which I'm very excited about. Sorry if we're letting the cat out of the bag now. But guys, thanks for joining us again, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. Because that's what we do. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. 
if you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 